Thank you very much. Um, we are talking about the theme of perfection tonight. So, and I know we've been you've been challenged now to talk about you know what perfection actually means. But I want you to I want to ask you a question: Do we already live in a perfect universe? No, it's a dumb question. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I know, I know. I mean, yeah, life is full of ups and downs. If um, if I can like use a very current internet moment, some days you're the seal, some days you're the kayaker. <laughs> Most days I just feel like the octopus. <laughs> but no, this is actually a serious scientific question. So, because physicists use their kind of this ideal of perfection as a guide to coming up with theories about the universe, and one, one of the big ones is symmetry. So. You know, kind of this idea that there are, the universe basically at a fundamental level is, is got all kinds of different symmetries. Uh, this is very useful, particularly in the 20th century. It led to theories that are so precise that we need machines the size of the Large Hadron Collider to, to measure them. Currently, the Large Hadron Collider is trying to find signs of something called supersymmetry, which, um, not the topic of my talk, let's just say it's pretty super, but it, there's no evidence for it at all. So, you know, physicists are prepared to spend billions of other people's euros trying to find something that probably doesn't exist. That's how much they care about symmetry and perfection. But is, it, is this right? Is this misguided? Okay, this isn't the first time that someone has asked this question. Uh, and uh, to look at one of the notable examples of that, let us choose a, a more obvious symmetry. So the symmetry between left and right. Okay, um, now again, the everyday world is not totally symmetrical. If I could have a hands up now, who here is left-handed? Hands up if you're left-handed. Left hand up if you're left-handed. A few. Right hands up if you're right-handed. Yeah. Both hands up if you're ambidextrous. Hey, there we go. Okay, so we are not symmetrical. Uh, you know, the whole, they tell us the, the perfect face is symmetrical left and right. I'm going to say, I mean... Most of you are pretty symmetrical, I've got to say, but um, the question is, is the world, is the universe at a fundamental level symmetrical between left and right? Like, if you were to reflect the entire universe in a mirror, would it still work the same way? Or is Alice through the looking glass kind of scientifically accurate? This is where my science hero, uh, Madame Chen Xiang Wu, comes in. Um, I don't speak Chinese, so I'm going to apologise for the pronunciations here. Uh, I'm going to do my best. Um, it probably should actually be Wu Xiangxiang, because the family name comes first, and, oh, look, we're already swapping around the order of things in the mirror. It's amazing, isn't it? But I'm going to stick with the, the westernised version, call her Xiangxiang Wu. Um, Xiangxiang Wu, she was, she was born in 1912 in a town called Liuhei, uh, which is a fishing port on the Yangtze River, um, not far from Shanghai in China. Uh, so this was at the very end of over 2,000 years of imperial Chinese history and the beginning of the First Republic of China. So the country was starting to modernise very quickly and one of the, one of the consequences of modernisation was more gender equality, more rights for women. And uh, Qian Sheng's parents, were, they were part of this progressive movement. Her father in particular, Zhong Yi Wu, he was an engineer and he... He founded a school for girls in, in Liuhei, partly so his daughter could get a good education, which she did. She, um, she did very well at school. She particularly excelled in science. Then she found a biography of Marie Curie, and basically her path was set. So she went to university. Uh, she studied physics. She also, um, you know, she got top marks at the university, but she also was a leader of student politics. You know, she did a bit of everything. But 
when she graduated, she hit her first real obstacle. Because although China was modernising quickly, it still didn't have any graduate programs for physics. So her supervisor uh, told Qian Sheng to do what she had done herself, which was to go to America to get her PhD and then come back. And so that's how, in 1937, Jiang Sheng Wu boarded a ship to travel to the United States. Now, America wasn't terribly great for her at first. Um, obviously, there was a bit of prejudice against Asians, so that's terribly surprising. Um, she also, she didn't, like, she struggled with the language uh, and the culture and the customs. Uh, she was very proud of her Chinese identity. In fact, um, all her life she wore the, it's called the qi pao, you know, the, um, the high-necked dress, otherwise known as the chong sam, you know the one? Yes, it gets a visual picture here. Um, also, America was, it was a lot more sexist than she was used to. Uh, she turned down a spot at the University of Michigan because when she found out that women had to enter the building from a side door, they weren't allowed to use the front entrance. Uh, later on, she worked at Princeton University, and Princeton didn't allow women students until about the 1960s. So, yeah, America was a lot more sexist than China in those days, and she found that rather difficult. So she was quite pleased that she was going to go back home eventually. The trouble was that uh, events of the 20th century got in the way. Um, in late 1937, which is about a year after she had gone to America, Japanese troops invaded Shanghai and marched towards Nanjing, sort of via her hometown. In Nanjing, of course, they, uh, they murdered and raped uh, between 40,000 and 300,000 civilians. So, yeah, she couldn't really go home. So, instead, she had to try and build a life in America. She, she met and married another Chinese physicist, uh, Luke Yuan, and she built a reputation as a good scientist herself. It became known that if you had a tricky problem, you, do it, you would ask Miss Wu and she would solve it for you. And when America finally entered the, um, the war, she was one of the many physicists recruited to join the Manhattan Project to build an atomic bomb. Um, she wasn't the only woman. There were actually hundreds of women involved in the Manhattan Project, but you don't really hear about them much in the history books. So, Anyway. Her greatest achievement, though, was uh, a couple of, about a decade after the war, in late 1956. So there was a whole lot of new uh, subatomic particles being discovered, and many of them had these strange new properties. And physicists were starting to ponder, some of them were starting to ponder whether this symmetry between left and right at the fundamental level uh, would, actually, would actually be conserved, would, that, would actually true the universe was symmetrical. Uh, in particular with something called beta decay. And beta decay is a kind of radioactive decay. It's what happens when a, a nucleus gives off an electron and a neutrino and transforms to a different element. It's, um, it's controlled by what's called the weak nuclear force. Uh, it's called the weak nuclear force because it's weaker than the strong nuclear force. <laughs> people say physics is complicated, but really. Anyway, so yeah, people were speculating that the weak nuclear force and beta decay was not symmetrical between left and right. And among the people speculating were these uh, two other Chinese-American physicists called um, Tsung Dao Li and Chen Ning Yang. Uh, now, Li was a friend of uh, Chen Sheng Wu's and knew that she was the go-to person for beta decay. So he talked to her about how they could do an experiment to test this idea. And they come with this idea of using cobalt-60 atoms, because uh, the, the cobalt atoms, um, they're kind of like little tiny magnets. And when they decay with beta decay, they give off electrons out of the poles. So the idea is that if, they, if the universe is symmetrical, they should 
give off electrons in both directions. Um, but if they give off in one direction preferred, then you know that things aren't symmetrical at the basic level. So they had to basically align all these atoms together using a strong magnetic field and had to have it very, very cold temperatures, only like uh, a few thousandths of a degree above absolute zero. The only place they could do that was at the National Bureau of Standards in Washington. So they arranged that and they had everything ready to go for this experiment. Um, trouble was that uh, Chen Xiang, she had, she and her husband had already booked tickets on the Queen Elizabeth to go back to, travel back to Asia. It had been like 20 years since they'd been home at all. And um, they weren't actually able to go to mainland China because by this stage, uh, uh, Mao Zedong, his communist regime was in power in China and the US government would not let its citizens travel to, to China. Uh, but they could still go to Taiwan and Hong Kong and so there was a chance they could meet up with their family. But, um, you know, Chen Sheng Wu, she was the kind of scientist who was so dedicated she would just, you know, when she got back for a trip she would drive, get me the taxi driver, drive past the laboratory so she could see if anyone was working late at night. She was so dedicated, there was no way she was going to pass up an experiment to test a fundamental principle of the universe. So she stayed home and her husband went off on his own. So yeah, this is, um, this was in late 1956. Uh, she set this experiment up. She had to commute back and forth between Washington and New York where she was teaching. Uh, and it was Christmas Eve 1956 that uh, she was able to, she took the train back. Um, it was a very harsh winter, but all the airports were closed. And she was, she was able to give some of the first ideas of her results of experiment to, um, to Tsung Dao Lee. Now, people are already sort of starting to wonder, because this is going on for a while, this experiment, people are wondering what the results are going to be. Uh, famous physicists like Richard Feynman and Wolfgang Pauli were placing bets that symmetry would be conserved. Some people were even saying, why do the experiment in the first place? We all know the universe has to be symmetrical at its fundamental level. But she found that basically the electrons are all coming out of the south pole of, of the atoms. Um, and yeah, Symmetry, symmetry was not conserved. By the time that he published the results in January 1957, other physicists had heard the news, people had started doing their own experiments and trying to replicate and verify our findings, and it was proved, and everyone basically accepted that the universe was fundamentally changed. So, um, so the way it actually works, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, the way it works is that the, the weak nuclear force, which I was talking about, it only acts on certain kinds of particles. So um, if you can all hold up your left hand like this and curl your fingers around and stick your thumb out, Okay, so if your thumb is, this is the, if your hand is a particle and your thumb is the direction the particle is moving and the fingers curled around represent the way it's spinning, that is what we call the left-handed particle. And it's only left-handed particles that the weak nuclear force acts on. If you flip it in the mirror, you get a right-handed particle and that doesn't interact with the weak nuclear force. So who are those left-handed people again? Congratulations, the universe is left-handed. You guys win. It was a massive, it was a massive ex um, experiment, a huge result, and it was so big that it, uh, it was awarded the Nobel Prize later that year in 1957 to uh, Li and Yang. Um, Chen Shengwu missed out on the, uh, on the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Don't worry, it gets worse. No, because... Um, so, because she'd done the experiment, it was a very important experiment, but she'd done this, she'd um, sacrificed a chance to, to go home and visit her family. So the next time she got a chance to travel was in 1962. Uh, she caught up with her uncle and her younger brother in Hong Kong. But in the intervening years, her father, her mother and her older brother had all died. Um, due to the government travel restrictions, she wasn't able to go to China to, to go to their funerals. 
Um, yeah, so all she could do was uh, meet up with um, her uncle and, and other brother. Uh, she didn't actually get to, get, get to go to mainland China until 1973, which is after Richard Nixon had his big uh, kind of breaking of the relations. And by that stage, her uncle and brother had also been killed in Mao's Cultural Revolution, and her parents being intellectuals, their tombs had been destroyed. Uh, yeah, so not a happy story. Um, like, this story is about symmetry. Like, it's meant to be about the symmetry and whether we, our ideas of perfection can be imposed on the universe. And uh, Chen Sheng Wu showed us that it doesn't work that way, that uh, what we have to do is we have to accept the universe the way it is. We do our experiments, we find out how it is, and we find, learn to find beauty and perfection in, in what's really there. But the human world is different. The human world, like, she found herself many... Uh, cases of asymmetry, you know, between women and men, between East and West, between communists and capitalists. And what she showed is that, with her own life, is that you just don't accept these things, you have to challenge them. So Chen Xiang Wu, she became the, the first person who wasn't a white man to be president of the American Physical Society. Uh, all her life, she, um, she campaigned for gender equality in American science, including equal pay. Uh, she spoke out against human rights abuses in both Taiwan and China, particularly after the um, Tiananmen Square massacre. Uh, yeah, and she, she uh, eventually died of a stroke herself in 1997, and her ashes were taken to her back to her hometown and buried in the courtyard of the girls' school that her father had founded. So um, I mentioned like her family name was Wu, her given name was Qian Cheng. Uh, Chen Cheng in Chinese apparently means courageous hero. So I think you'll agree that was um, a very good name for her. Thank you. <laughs>